Good morning. Wow. Um, you have to excuse, I've been fighting a cough, so I may hack all the way through this. I'll try not to, but I'm, I apologize now. Um, it's exciting to be a guest this morning. <laughs> um, it's kind of weird for me to think of, but I, get, I did get to park in a guest parking spot legally, unlike some of you. Um, so that was kind of nice. We have a park up close, but I'm actually kind of nervous this morning. Um, and it's weird because I mean, most of you know me, pretty much all of you know me. And when I preach, I just really just preach what's on my heart and everything. But forever there's been this little voice in the back of my head that says, but Tony, you work here. You have to come in Monday morning. And that voice is kind of shouting now saying, no, you don't. <laughs> And so I'm as excited to find out what I'm about to say as maybe you are scared about what I'm about to say. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I hope this morning that you came expecting. Man, I hope you came in here just expecting God to speak and to show up because we don't have to pray and ask him to be here. He was here long before we ever got here. And so this morning, let's find out what he has to say, shall we? Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you remember when this only made phone calls? Remember back when? I mean, some of them were like this big and you had to carry a backpack with you. But there was a time this made phone calls. Now, you look at it, you look at mine. Mine's got pictures and it's got music on it and it's got, you know, Bible studies and all kinds of stuff. I can do everything for it. And the problem is, is though next year they'll come out with another one that does even more. And they'll come out with another one that does even more. And it seems like we're always looking for something more. You know, for our electronics to do more, for our job to do more, our our job, our home, our life, our church, everything. We're always saying there's got to be more. We can can improve on this. We can can do more and more and more and more stuff. I mean, there was a time where the computer in this phone was the size of my house. And now they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller and doing more things. I'm waiting for the day when I can just set it down and say, cook me dinner. (laughs) Amen. That would be awesome. But did you ever wonder why we're always looking for more? Did you ever wonder why we're not really satisfied and we always think like, oh, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something more. See, I, I believe we're that way because God made us that way. In fact, as we search for more, Solomon, in all his wisdom, wrote this in Ecclesiastes. He said, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. It's like down deep in the darkest, in the most quiet, in the most private recesses of our hearts and our life, there's this idea that there's got to be something more. There's got to be something that that makes more sense, that's bigger than me and greater than me and greater than all the stuff that's going on and everything that I see. And so we are constantly searching for more and more and more. The problem is we've been trying to find it in stuff like this. The problem is, is we've been trying to find it in bank accounts, in homes, in jobs, in our stuff. And yet each of us go to bed at night, late at night, and we still have that yearning saying, isn't there more? See, I believe this morning, in fact, I know for a fact this morning that God has more for us. 
but that also God expects more from us. Oscar Wilde said this, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist, and that is all. I think so many of us, so many of us have just settled for what the world offers, for what life offers, and the stuff, and the things, and and the accolades, and all that stuff. That all we're doing every day is that we just wake up, and all we do is exist. We just kind of go through the motions. We, We show up Sunday after Sunday, and we sit in a pew, or a Wednesday night, or whatever night we go, and we just, we sit there, and we leave saying, is that all there is? Is, is that all it is? And, and we look for more everywhere except the one place where we know we can find it. <clears throat> Jesus said this in John 10.10. 10. I love this verse. It's a life verse for me. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I love what actually the King James says. It says, I have come that they may have abundant life and more abundant life. That more is in there. Life more abundantly. And I don't know you, but for like the last year, I've been struggling with that little word, more. And I've wondered what that means, what that actually looks like. If this is a promise from Jesus, that my life can be more, then what exactly does that look like? And that's what I want to challenge us with this morning. That's why I want to encourage. I, I came this morning to preach. I came this morning to encourage, to challenge, and maybe even step on toes. Because I think the time of us just settling needs to stop. And that God has more for us. And expects more from us. Will you pray for me? God, I just thank you this morning. God, I thank you that we can spend the rest of eternity trying to figure you out, God. And we will still just be at the beginning. That you are so big, so large, so much more. God, I pray for this church and every church that is meeting this morning around this globe. God, that today we find more. That we understand how much you have for us. Father, my words mean absolutely nothing this morning. So God, I ask that you would speak. That you would hide me. And that at the end of the day, the only one that gets credit for anything today is you. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, grab it. Um, I'm the kind of person, I like people grabbing their Bibles and looking through it. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Um, like I said, I don't work here anymore, so that's a gift. Put your name in it, scribble in it, underline it, whatever you want. If you don't have a Bible, <coughs> excuse me, then grab one of those and just open it up. Because I'm going to tell you right now, as I prayed, my words mean absolutely nothing, but this means everything. This is the only authority that I have to stand up here this morning. These are the only words that mean anything at all. And so I'm going to ask you, I don't know how many of us have been around, but you remember Bible drills? You know, put the Bible out and you had to find it. We're going to jump an awful lot around this book this morning. And so get ready. 
Open your ears, open your heart, and hear God's word instead of mine. So I want to start this whole idea with more with us. It, it has to start with the individual. It, it has to start with you and me making a decision. You know, we, we come to church and we want to see our church do great things, but it has to start with us first. The whole idea that God has more for us is the idea that we have to surrender everything else to Him. We have to be willing to let go of everything else that we have and stop doing it our way in our agendas and stop doing the things that we have plans for and say, God, I think your way is better. I know your way is better, and so I'm going to follow it and do it your way. And so before we go anywhere else this morning, before you ever even figure out what more looks like, what more means in your life, it starts with us. We have to be willing to look at Jesus and come open-handed and say, all of me, all of me. And when we do that, something amazing happens because the more that we're looking for, God starts giving it to us piece by piece. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This is Paul, and he's in Athens. And he's, in, he's on Mars Hill. And all around are these statues and these idols of all these different gods. And they have every god. And they even have one statue that says, to the unknown god, just in case we missed one. Let me ask you, doesn't that sound like our culture today? We may not have statues, but we have a lot of gods that we worship and a lot of idols in our lives everywhere. And we want to cover all of them. This past week, I went and got my haircut. I went to my barber and got a haircut and everything. Not a stylist. I'm a man. <laughs> I was just throwing that out. I go to a barber. And I was sitting there and talking to her, and she was cutting my hair, and she was asking me about, you know, what does it take to start a church? You're starting a church here. What does it take? And I'm like, a lot of prayer. And that's about as far as we've gotten right now. We're just praying really hard. For God to do something. She's like, well, that's good. And everything. Because I'm a spiritual person. I love it when they say that to me. Because I'm like, what's that mean? You're spiritual. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. And I do good. And I do all this stuff. And, you know, it all measures out and weighs out in the end. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of crazy. Because you have scissors to the back of my neck. But what happens if you're not good enough? See, that's what I love about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about that Jesus was and is still good enough. But we try to cover all the bases and we try to search and we try to figure out these answers. And what we're asking ourselves is why the meaning of our life. Listen to this as Paul talks to him. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives, gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. Verse 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. 
You understand, before we get anywhere, we have to answer the three toughest questions that every person on this planet has to answer. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? See, if we don't answer those, then nothing else will make sense in our lives. And the only place that that's answered is in Jesus. The only place that we find meaning in our life is in Jesus. We find out that we were created by a God that loved us, that knit us together. That he made us for his glory and for his relationship. He made us to do the things that he's made us to do. He he answers all those questions. And before as a church or as an individual, before we understand more life and abundant life, we have to understand that our meaning only comes from Jesus. This is why so many people struggle today. Because we're looking for meaning everywhere else. Because the truth of the matter is, is we come from God and one day we will return to Him. I had a friend one time look at me and says, you know, one day I might believe in Jesus. And I said, I can guarantee you that one day you will believe in Jesus. I just hope it's not too late. And so for us surrendering and giving ourselves away and saying, Jesus, all you, all of me for all of you. We start with the idea that we get more meaning. We understand who we are. And why we're here. Turn over to 2 Timothy with me. And once we have meaning, and once we understand that we are God, that God created us, that God made us, and that God has planned for us, that none of us is an accident, all of a sudden things start to come to light. In 2 Timothy, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, chapter 1, verse 7. I love, Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Verse 9, who has saved us, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Once I understand that all my meaning comes from God, then you know what? I get more peace. Once I understand that God is sovereign and he's in control, he's the one that made me, I find my meaning and all that, then all of a sudden I understand that there's nothing that I have to be afraid of. There's, there's nothing I have to worry and fret about because my God is in control. He made me. My meaning comes from him. I get peace. I, I love this. Power, he says. He's given us a spirit of power. There's nothing I can't accomplish with Jesus. He gives me a spirit of love. That there's nothing I have ever done that will make God love me less. And there's nothing I can ever do to make him love me more. I'm already completely and utterly and totally loved by God. And because of that peace and because of that power with everything that's going on in this world and everything, all the voices calling at us and all the options that the world keeps giving us, we can say... No. I can live a disciplined life. I, I can look different. I can be different. I can act different. Because I'm at peace with God. And I have peace with God. 
many of us wake up in the middle of the night fretting and worrying? I, I do. How many of us watch the news and sit there going like, where is this going to end? Can I tell you, a life that is more looks at that and says, God's got it. I don't have to worry about it. God's in control. I don't have to worry about who's in the Oval Office. I don't have to worry about who's in Congress. I don't have to worry about what's happening across the ocean. Because God's in control. Because I have that peace. That's what the world wants to see. And it starts with us. It starts with surrender. Flip over to Ephesians 2.10. I told you, we're bouncing around a lot this morning. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this verse. I love that the actual Greek is we are his poema. We are God's masterpiece, his poem to the world. And that for us, because we've surrendered, because we've sat there, because we said we have the peace of God, we know our meaning comes from God, it gives us purpose. How many people do you know that are sitting around going, I have no idea what to do with my life? Me included. <laughs> How many people are looking like, well, I know I should be doing something, but I'm not really sure what and, and what it looks like and everything. And there's a promise from God's word that he has given us and prepared beforehand that we should walk in, that there's work, there's a job. You and I have been created for a job. There's something that you need to do, that you're created to do. And unfortunately, in a lot of our churches, what has happened is we expect the professionals to do that. Can I tell you something? There are no professionals. The more I pastor, the more I do this, the more of a rookie I feel like. The more I learn about God, the more I figure out how much I don't know. We're all in this together and we all have a job. And it's not to show up on a Sunday or a Wednesday or something and just sit in a pew and listen to a message and sing some songs. We have a job to do. And as long as there are breath in our lungs, we are to continue to do that job. There is no retirement in the Bible. I've said this before. The only retirement that is mentioned in this book is absent from the body, present with the Lord. We have a job to do. We have a purpose. And the only place we find that is Jesus. The only place that makes sense is in Jesus. It, it starts with us, y'all. It starts with us saying, not my way anymore, God, your way. You've made me, you've empowered me, you've given me a purpose. That's what it's about. And when we live that way, 
That's living more. That's abundant life. That's a life looked at and said, wow, that's, that's what I want. But it gets better. You see, as we do that as individuals, as we come together and say, I'm going to live this way. I, I commit myself to living a life of more abundance. I commit my life to living a life of meaning and of purpose and of peace and of passion. I commit to do that. And when we do that, we find others that are like-minded. And the church is born. And when a group of community of people come together and they are like-minded like that, and they start coming together, then amazing things start happening. It gets more exciting because now we go look at what happens when that looks in the church. When we commit to live our lives the way God created us to live them, to claim the promises that He's made and to live them out, what happens in our church? Oh, goodness. Turn your Bibles to Matthew. I'm getting a little excited. The more excited I get, the more I'm probably going to cough. <coughs> Told you. In Matthew's chapter 16, starting at verse 15, it says... And he says to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we come together as a people. And we're living that life. Then all of a sudden there's an assurance. There's this idea. That we can do more. There's this idea that we're invincible. In fact, when we're unified by the proclamation of Christ in our lives. When we're unified by that confession. We are invincible. What does Jesus say? He says, not even the gates of hell will prevail. When we come together. There is nothing that we can't do. When God's body comes together, I mean, it just starts exploding everywhere. Lives change, community change, nations change, the world changes, because that's what the church was formed for. Can I tell you something? My pet peeve is that we have chosen to make politics the way we change our culture. If we vote for the right person or we put the right person in the office, then everything will change. You want to change the world? You want to change our country? Go across the street and tell your neighbor the gospel. Go down your street and through your neighborhood and share the love of Christ with them. Go across the ocean and share the love of Christ with them. Because as we share the gospel, the gospel will change everything. Not somebody in a noble office, not somebody that's a senator or a congressman, not some world power or world organization. It is the gospel that will change everything, and it is the church's job to carry it. And when we are unified, we are invincible. I love that Jesus prayed for us in John. I love that Jesus prayed. He said, Father God, may they be one as you and I are one, so that the world will know you sent me. When we are unified by living abundantly by our confession of Christ as a church, the world will see Jesus and that will change everything. It's not about sitting in a building. It's not about making plans. 
It's about living this life as a community, as a church, and we are invincible. And yet we sit around in our churches and we huddle and we're afraid because the Supreme Court makes some ruling that has no bearing on us whatsoever. You know why the world acts so sinful? Because it is. Do you know why people that don't know Jesus act like they don't know Jesus? Because they don't know Him. We act so surprised. And we huddle and we cower. And God said, I made you invincible. Nothing can stand against us when we're unified by this. We just got back from Wales about two weeks ago. And tonight, I hope you come back because our students are going to share about summer and whales and everything, and I'm excited for them to share. But every day I sat with Pastor Peter, who was the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church, who we were working with. And we would talk. I'd say, what's going on? How can I pray? What's happening in all these churches in the area? There are, there are churches in every town. And he just kept saying, there's, there's no leadership here, and so there's four people. There's, the, there's, there's no... There's no no vision here no here, no here they're dying, all the churches are dying all the churches are dying and it broke my heart it broke my heart because I looked at that and I looked at our country and said this is where we're going we've lost our invincibility we've lost our vision and the power that Christ gives us and the Holy Spirit gives us we've lost that and we don't stand upon that anymore and we've kind of huddled and he said something to me that I believe is true for this country and for every other place. Every church that has lost the idea of reaching out to their community, that has lost the idea that the Great Commission is why we are here, is a dying church. We, we, were, we were called to so much more. We were called to be invincible. And when we are, oh my gosh, it gets even better, y'all. I mean, think about it. it starts with us. We get meaning and purpose and, and peace, and we start living that way. And then we combine that with other members of the church, and we come together, and we know that because of that, because of our confession, because our God is bigger than everything else, we're invincible, then something else happens. Turn to Acts 2. Acts 2, starting at verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And get this. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When we live like this, as individuals and as a church, guess what? We gain the influence. As I said, if you want to change the world, it's very simple. Share the gospel. Tell God's life-changing story to your neighbors, 
to your co-workers, to everyone that you come in contact. Change, do that story. Just tell it over and over again. We're not going to save anybody. Jesus already took care of that. We just tell that story and let God's word does what it always does and just penetrate hearts and lives. But when we do that, we have more influence. When we do that, we see life in our church. They said in Wales, you look, you look at churches and you look at churches across this country and they're meeting today and there is absolutely no life in it whatsoever. You walk in and you just see people kind of just sitting there. Music's playing. A couple of people may raise their hand. You hear a woo? It's like we, we've forgotten whose kids we are. It's like we've forgotten what purpose we are here for. Because a church alive is changed lives. When a church is living this abundant life, when a church is living it to the fullest, and that more is just showing and showing, that's what the world starts seeing. The world starts taking notice. See, the problem with too many Christians in our world today is we look too much like everyone else. We just look like everybody else, and we do our lives like everyone else. And I love, I'm excited about this time, and I think it's the greatest time in history that we've ever lived. Because I think there's a very clear line being drawn of what a follower of Christ looks like and a non-follower of Christ looks like. And it's being very, very clear. I don't think our churches are losing numbers and people are just leaving. I think people that have been faking it all their lives have finally said, I'm not going to fake it anymore. And those of us for who it's real need to start showing this is what it looks like to live more. This is what it looks like to live with power and passion and purpose and peace. Because that's what they're looking for. They want to know, is it different? And if they don't see it in the church, where are they going to see it? Church should be the loudest, most raucous place every time the door is open. People should be calling down the street saying, can y'all keep it down? They're like, no, come and join us, make it louder. Because our God is that big. And we've forgotten... That he wants more for us. And he expects more from us. And when we live like this, y'all, when we church, when we actually buy into this and say, I surrender, I give it all. I, I want this life. When, when we do, then something happens for this world. The thing it needs more than anything else right now is hope. And they see that in us. Turn, turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 5. Paul writes in Romans, starting verse 1, Therefore, having been justified, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access to faith and to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
hope never disappoints. I, I believe with all my heart and every part of my being that God created His church to reveal hope to the world. How can we do that when we settle for less? When, when we give less? When we serve less? When we look like everything else? God wants more for us and from us, church. We, we pray for revival. And we, we beseech God, God, send revival, send revival. And maybe this morning, what we need to do is, God, send revival, but start here. Start with me. Pat Morley said this, if the Great Commission is true, our plans are not too big, they are too small. We have based our visions upon our budgets. We have based our goals upon our plans and how many people we have showing up or our buildings and how much stuff. What if we started basing our vision as churches and as people of God on the Great Commission? That if he said we could go into all the world and change the world, then we actually believe that and take him at his word? What What if our vision was bigger than our dreams? What if our vision was bigger than our buildings and our budgets and everything else? What if we just said, God, all for you, all for you. Well, whatever it costs, whatever it means, all for you. God, make our vision as big as you are. Make our dreams as big as you are, God. And we, we're not going to worry about what it says in the bank accounts. We're not going to worry about what it says, what the doctor says, or what my family says, or what anybody else says. We're going to live all for you. Because we think you want to give us more, and you deserve more. And so all for you. What would happen? I tell you what, that's a church I would give my life for. That's, that's a church... That I would lose everything for. And that's my prayer for this church. For our church. At Grace Baptist. For every church in this community. I gotta tell you a secret. You may not like it. But I'm praying God wrecks this church. And wrecks lives in this church. For his glory. I'm praying God just takes over total control in his spirit and there's just things that start happening because I believe this community is waiting for churches to stand up and say this is what more looks like come find more <coughs> I ask you to pray for us last Sunday we had our first gathering at my house and I, I love that the church was in my house because I'm like wow we're like Acts this is cool And there's just a handful of us right now. But I believe God's going to move because there's 30,000 people down there that need to know there's more. And as you pray for us, I pray for you. I pray that God just, just shakes your view of him. I, I pray God just rattles you all around and you start looking and says, where, where do we find more? Where do we show more? Let, let's do more, more, more. And I pray that God receives all the glory.
I pray He gets all the credit. Man, what would happen? What would happen if we lived this way? What would happen if we just said, God, all you and none of me? I, I believe it would change Claremont. And that, that's my prayer, that God would change Claremont through this church. And then it would change Florida. And it would change the nation. And it would change the world. See, my Bible says that Jesus says he'll return when everyone has been told. Now about you, I'm ready for him to come back. I'm kind of tired. I'm tired of seeing all the junk and the atrocities and the stuff. I mean, if you watch the news, I, I would just tell you stop it because it's just it's always bad. I mean, if you're going to look at news, then look at it through here because the answer is that we've already won. That he's already won. And yet there are going to be battles and there's going to be things that we may feel beat up in. But, but we know the end of the story. And we know we've already won. See, I, I want us to finish the job. It sounds crazy, but it's not my job to make good church members. We have plenty of those. In fact, we're we're throwing around the idea, we don't even want members at Grace Baptist. I want missionaries. I want people that are called to live out. If that's ten people, if that's a hundred people, I don't care. God, I'm praying for like thousands of people just to come and be missionaries. That we give away more than than we gain. That we live more so that the world sees more. And that's what I pray for this church. I pray every one of you are a missionary here. I pray that God just grabs your heart and just sends you. And it may be across the street. It may be across an ocean. But God just grabs you and you go. And you live life more. Because that's what the world needs. And that's what we're called to do. And as a matter of fact, that's what we're commanded to do. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Let's find more.